0: Hello and welcome to Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer, not just for Louisiana, but for the entire northern Gulf Coast.
1: And now, introducing your host, Alan DeRitter. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to your August 19th edition of Monday Night Football. I'm Coach Alan DeRitter. I'm the head soccer coach for the De La Salle Boys and Girls, and the Director of Coaching for Soccer Innovations of America, and we always start off our show with a prayer. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Dear God, thanks for letting us have this show tonight, and I uh, pray that this show will be able to uh, garnish maybe more unity instead of division within at least in the New Orleans area, and I pray for that unity to spread statewide. And uh, thank you for this this avenue so we can talk and have everybody's voices heard uh, at the same time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. And, you know, that's very, very important. Okay, uh, on the field we compete, but off the field we're in it for the same reason, I thought, to develop kids and and to promote the game. Not to manipulate kids to play the game, but to take the kids who are naturally talented and to develop them. There are many ways to skin the cat. Uh, I don't know if any of the ways that we're going to talk about tonight are the way because I just think the European model is the way to go and our chances of doing that uh, is slim to none. Uh, European model, for those of you who are just listening for the first time, um, uh, the whole idea of, uh, of uh, de- uh, scouts developing a kid uh, when they discover them at four years of age or her and then um, uh, taking ownership of it um, and then developing them. And then hopefully they'll play for your professional side. And if not, then you just sell the rights to that player. And so you recoup all your financial um, losses, quote unquote, and uh, that works a lot better you know that looks works a lot better than the way we're doing it now. What we're doing it now is a kid pays to play ODP or pays to play on a travel team and a showcase tournament and then they get seen and uh, and then the college coaches are pretty much trying to recruit the kids that they've seen and maybe not so much the best kids that are around. The kids you can't afford to go to those tournaments are, are left in the dust. And they're, they're, hopefully coaches like myself at De La Salle can p- promote these kids to play uh, for colleges and, and all. But uh, really what the college coaches have just done is just they're going to go get the leftovers from Europe. And that's what most of the quality programs do. I uh, Look at their rosters. I mean, uh, look at the rosters just in the southeast. They're primarily European rosters. So – how does that help the United States Soccer Federation any? Uh, I, I don't think it does, and I can't blame the college coaches because they're paid to win, and would you really want a, uh, a kid on the field who's really not the best player that you could sign? So we got, it's a mess. It's a mess. Uh, I've been at it 38 years, and, uh, and I'm running out of time biologically. Uh, the U.S., uh, I think... Uh, Both of the people I have on the show tonight will agree that um, the mess that we're in right now, we need to fix it. But even by fixing it, it still doesn't solve the majority of the problem, which is the pay-for-play system that we have from the top down. Okay? Uh, And and really, it's look, I watched the Little League World Series this weekend. It's the same thing with the Little League World Series. Uh, JPRD's not sending their best players. They're sending the players who have raised the money to be able to go pay for that trip. Whereas – um. Uh, in Europe, okay, you're playing for PSG's developmental U14 team. The club's picking up the tab, okay, and you're developed. And if you're not good enough to advance, then you let go. And uh, that's that's the model I think that we need to to try to implement. I mean, we do have Major League Soccer. We have teams named after Major League Soccer teams that are like we have one of them. Here. We have a few of them here in Louisiana now, uh, but how much? Really invested are these club teams, these MLS teams, in these clubs, and I would argue very, very little. So, having said all that, this is a can't miss show, y'all. Get people to come listen. Uh, We're going to have on the first segment, the segment right after our commercial break. We're going to have Jose Ferran, who is the head coach at Ben Franklin for the boys and the girls, and uh, he just started the Jefferson Parish Soccer Association with his colleagues, and. Uh, it's a pretty exciting concept, and then uh, we'll break. And then, in the last segment, we're going to talk to the president of Louisiana Fire Juniors, uh, Nick Dana, and I think it's going to surprise a lot of y'all. Uh, he surprised me, and uh, and then. We're going to have to pick up the mess. And just remember, there's a there's a link. If you're listening to us on the Anchor app, there's a link that allows you to leave voicemails. So that way you don't have to leave a comment that everybody else has to leave. But you could direct message me at uh, MNFUTBOL on Twitter and also on Facebook if you want to. Um, or you can just uh, post on our Facebook Live page. We're going to have an episode this week. And uh, kind of digging into some of the other clubs that we don't mention tonight, which will be the Spartans, Jambalaya, White Star, um, Nola, and uh, and the Jester's. Okay, um, I don't have a chance to interview everybody, we'd be on for hours, but these are these are um, these two clubs kind of discuss those other clubs in a a little general way. So I'm looking forward to it. I get your uh. Get your popcorn and uh, get a good uh, soda and and stay tuned and uh, hopefully we'll will uh, have a good show and hopefully also uh, you'll see that this show is is worth the, the sponsorship and is worth promoting so that we can all have one general place to go to hear about everybody without us having to argue and I want to apologize to you people who wanted me to stir the pot. My job really is to is to give you the news, not spin it. I'm so sick and tired of watching the news. It used to be reported, and now it's spun. I miss Walter Cronkite terribly, and I'm going to just sh- put the news out there, and then you decide, okay, which everybody claims that they do, but they don't, all right? So your discussion will be on the blog, on Facebook Live page, and if you want us to do another show on, on this topic alone, Let us know, and uh, this is your show, not my show, and we'd be glad to listen to you. Anyway, let's break for a minute to pay our bills on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. We'll see you after the break. This episode of Monday Night Football is being brought to you by the Central LaFouche High School Girls Winter Invitational. For $250, your girls' team uh, can play in a tournament where you're guaranteed three games with two referees. The confirmed teams are Mandeville, North Shore, Dominican, Hanville, Mount Carmel, Belchase, Thibodeau, South Terrebonne, Ursuline, and others. So it's quite an event already. Uh, You better book your spot now before all the spots are taken. You can register at JE Blanchard, J E B L A N C H A R D at mylpsd.com. That's at mylpsd.com or just message us uh, message us at the Monday Night Football page on Facebook and we'll be glad to get you in touch with with coach Blanchard. Okay? Thanks a lot. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Monday Night Football. We're with the coaching director now of Jefferson Paris Soccer Association, Jose Ferran. Welcome to the show, Coach. All right. Thank you. All right. First um, First, first and foremost, uh, what is Jefferson Paris Soccer Association?
0: Um, it's a new program that um, me and this George Cano started, and it's to give an opportunity for our children, regardless of um, – income level that they have an opportunity to play and you know how it is nowadays, with the pay to play system and it's really affecting, you know, kids ability to just go out there and have fun and just play the game. And that's what it's, what's, what's important.
1: Okay. But you and I both know that money drives this beast. Uh, who's, who's helping you out with this? Uh, George
0: Cano, uh, he's, a he's, a, he's our president. Um, um brandon McNabb is our treasurer um um adrian jolette is going to be one of the board members as well and it was just it's something small that we started and we think it's an opportunity that uh, that uh, we saw that you know i've been coaching for 24 years and been playing soccer for 38 years in this area and you know the numbers have dropped tremendously or the youth level and what we saw is an opportunity to see if we can try to do something different.
1: Okay. So, um, you were at the, how long were you at the fire?
0: Um, I was at the fire for 10 years. And before that I was at NOSA for two years. And before that I was at Lafreniere for uh, 12 years.
1: I, I don't know about you, but I call the NOSA days, the glory days. Is that how you oh, look yeah. at it?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but, um, when I was at NOSA, It was right after Katrina, and I think Katrina really changed this landscape of uh, youth soccer in the city. And before that, um, we had four competing clubs, and everybody was competing, and I think the level of play was strong because there was competition in the city. And then when Katrina came, it really changed.
1: Okay, so so the whole argument about the fire, uh, Soccer Innovations is my club, as you know, and um, we were the first one to join the fire. And the whole theory about it with – was that if we got everybody together, we can make a competitive team in New Orleans that would be able to go and make a run at at the national title of USYSA. Oh. And uh, and so you think that really, in hindsight, it weakened us?
0: No, I think it, it enhanced the elite players, of course. You know, um, but I think the second tier and the third tier players felt left out, and then I believe that's why the numbers have dropped. You know, you had better coaches coaching the top tier teams. You know, um, second and third teams had the inexperienced coaches, and I um, think parents realized that, and and they realized that why why is the top? You know, why do we have to play the same amount as the top team, and they get better coaches? <laughs> so I, and that's how it is, and then and then that's it. it it's it's been it's been interesting to see the last, and that, the demographics of this of this area has changed too after Katrina as well. There's a lot of huge Latin population that came in, but they don't have the money to pay for really expensive clubs.
1: No, and uh, and so now, look, uh, we're both practicing on the West Bank. You're at Bridge City. I'm in West Wego, and there's also a West Bank football club. The the, the, right. uh, the um West Bank is so underdeveloped soccer-wise and only a oh, couple yeah, minutes absolutely. across the river. So, so do you think that uh, uh, it's going to be a good thing now that we, instead of, having one central club on the West Bank, we have four now, because FIRE also has a campus at Shaw. Do you right. think? What do you, how do you think that's going to work
0: out? I think competition is great, but however, I think we should all work together as a community. You know, it shouldn't be, you know, this is – the biggest key now is, you know, I think clubs are starting to treat people, their families and kids as properties, and that needs to change. You know, we don't own these people. We don't own the kids. So, you know, they have to make the decisions. And I do believe that competition is great. You know, I'm a business major. And, and you know, if you don't have competition, things get stagnant. And, you know, and as far as clubs, we have to be held accountable. And if we don't put it as a product that people like, you will lose your customers. And that's how it is. And it should be, you know. And as far as the community, I think, honestly, yes, I don't believe in one huge club dominating one area and i think the little clubs are the ones that are focusing on what the big clubs can't do and can't focus the demographics you know and we're trying to do what we can to try to help out everyone that has not to get an opportunity to play this game it's a fun game it really is and then you know some kids some parents don't want the elite do you know do all that traveling and i think that's what created a problem and where we lost our numbers is because once they had that merger everybody, you know, rec disappeared. You know, the low yes. end. It really did. And then and then after a time, they brought, you know, we started, the club started, or the city started bringing that back. But it's, I think it's going to take some time. And I think, you know, I believe in competition and I believe that, you know, everybody has their niche. And, you know, we can all just also as well as work together and just remember, it's about the kids and it's about the community. And if you can work together, we can grow the game back again. Because I remember, 15, 20 years ago it was a lot better, and now it's it's to a point that the numbers of when I, mean, I looked at the numbers it's, it's 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 not embarrassing, but it's extraordinary that it's dropped that much.
1: Well, could you re- could you uh, uh, go over that a little bit because I've been curious about that too, especially in the girls' uh, arena. Oh yeah,
0: and I've been involved with a lot of the girls for the last twenty four years as well, and. You know, it is a different time nowadays. There are all more you know, distractions, and also I mean, remember, ten or fifteen years ago, girls' soccer had the 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 niche, and they didn't have any volleyball clubs or softball clubs. And and then everybody then everybody started becoming focusing on one sport. And I still do believe that everybody should play multiple sports. Yeah. become a better athlete. You can get become a better person too. You know, and and from what I've seen is once we did the merger um, competition diminished within the club and people wanted certain things and people and parents were forced to play a certain level, which they didn't want because there was no other option. And I believe that it should be options for everybody. You know, if you have if you want to focus on, the, you know, you, if you have a kid that wants to be elite. Find the elite team. But if you have a kid that wants to, you know, just go out there and be prepared for high school, find a team that's their level, you know, and their needs. And I believe that if the more clubs are out there, there is going to be needs and they can find their needs.
1: Uh, Are you going to put any teams in the
0: competitive levels? No, we're not allowed to.
1: Okay, I mean, eventually, I know you're on probation right now,
0: but yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and and really, you could still because the route most people take now is they just try to get umbrellaed you know, while they're oh yeah. under probation.
0: But now with these rules that LSA has, it inhibits honestly growth. You know, and teams are trying to struggle, and these small clubs are trying to struggle, but we're not allowed to play in a league per se. You know, and sometimes sometimes that's not what the parents want anyway. The parents just want to play games and tournaments, and that's it. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's just a game. Yeah. And and, you know, and then it, and this is where we build character, and we build leadership skills and we build them to become better citizens. That's what I believe what sports is about.
1: Well, at Soccer Innovations, we just um, we got um, uh, really pushed in a corner with the prices and the travel. And right. we decided just to um, register all of our players rec. And then right. play in the tournaments against all those right. top tier teams.
0: Same teams, exactly. <laughs> right, and then and when we what, beat them, there's there's uh, there's hell to pay on the sidelines, exactly. you know. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And you know, there were times when I had a uh, C1 team a few years ago, five years, well, four years ago, and parents were pushing that we should do this this league and that league, and I was like, you know, every team's different. Every kid has a personality. We took it easy in every one state, and. It, and we didn't play those multiple leagues and the kids were relaxed. And I mean, I think, I mean, yes, you do want to play and put level that you want to get the best out of you, but also you have to find out what the personality of each kid and if you can handle it as well. And a lot of, you know, soccer is all psychological. Oh, you better believe it.
1: And, uh, and I I think, uh, really, truly, uh, the suicide rate is a reflection of, it's not just in soccer. It's just this push to be super excellent instead of a push to just
0: enjoy life and do the best that you can you exactly know? exactly and then you know i think parents put a lot of pressure on these kids and, and then you see the numbers and you see articles about how kids are just quitting sports in general you know in back in back in the day when we were kids I and mean, we used to play pick up and played as many sports as we can because we enjoyed having you know being with our teammates or our, our neighborhood kids you know that's where where it matters
1: yeah. Look, I, I got people who disagree with me, with me on this, but I, what I see out there is that girl soccer um, uh, of, of all it is totally dropped off in the last 15 oh, yeah. years. I mean, do you agree or and do, if oh, you yeah. do, okay, so why yeah. do you think that besides the volleyball I and the softball, you know,
0: because I mean, we, we I filled
1: mean, a bunch of girls high school teams, you know,
0: right. I believe, you know, we went away from um, just having fun, honestly. We put a lot of pressure on these kids at a younger age. We try to make these elite teams at a younger age. And we force these kids to go travel almost every other weekend. And by the time they get to 15, 16, they're burnt out. They really are. And they, you know, honestly, they don't want to tell their parents, but honestly, they are. You know, they want to have, they want to be home. They want to experience, you know, being in high school and high school experience with their friends. And, and. You know, you try to cater to the, I call it the five to six percenters, you might have issues, and then people start dropping off. People, you know, you you ask them, and they're like, we just weren't having fun. I just want, you know, we got to find a fine line where we can gradually build teams into that level. You're not just throw a bunch of 12-year-olds together and say, hey, we're going to go to this, 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 this this league, that league, that league, league, travel, travel, travel. by the time they're 15, 16, they're burnt out. And I see it in the girls more than the boys. The boys are competitive. And they want to compete, and they want games. But the girls' the numbers are dropped so much that 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 if the top team loses players. Where are they going to find the players? That so they're even if the second or third teams' numbers have dropped. I remember there was a time, and at just that last year, there was four U18 teams. Yes, yeah. that's what and I remember. It, yeah, just remember. <laughs> and now the whole city is struggling just to get one pure U18 team. I think I believe it's a mixed team. I think it's 2001 and 2000 or 2001 and 2002. Yeah. It is. And that's, and that's, and it's mind boggling. I mean, you try to ask what's going on and nobody has, nobody understands. And this should have been discussed. and should should have been analyzed for the last 10 years. And, you know, and go to the parents and ask them why, are the kids and ask them, why did they quit? And just try to go after that. The yep. reason why. And try to change. Like, like one guy said, you know, it's okay to say it didn't work and then do something different you know at the yeah. end of the day like yeah. i said before it's just a game and we got to do something different and and that's where we our goal is for jpsa is trying to provide something in you know, a that other kids can play that didn't have the means or the or, or, or the money to, to to play those extraordinary costs
1: well um to take change gears a little bit here um so, do you, do you think that the, the, these small clubs, Montagua, Hispanic clubs, we, you could put, I guess, put Soccer Innovations in there, but, right. uh, but uh, um, uh, White Star, Montagua, and Jambalaya, um, yeah. do you think that they're hurting or helping the situation? I think they're helping.
0: Okay. Because what opportunities would those kids have if, they, if we didn't have these small clubs? Sure. You know, they wouldn't be playing and there's a lot of kids out there that just aren't playing and they just you know kids just want to belong to a, to something you know yeah you know that's what they want to do want to have, that's why you have friends you want to belong to your you know a group of friends and a lot of kids want to be along to a group of friends that play together and a team and i think having a small clubs is great and you know and that's the that's the key is the key is just to give them opportunities to play that's mm-hmm. like saying should we just have one huge high school Yeah. Right, right. You know, uh, people have to choose. There's got to have opportunities that people. You know, if you don't like it, you can move on. And I think the biggest key is not to treat parents and children as properties. You know, if they need to move on. They need to move on. They didn't like. You know, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. And we just got to move on. And we, as a clubs, have to produce better products.
1: Now in Europe, you know, you got the you got the professional teams. You know, running. You know, training these kids uh, from an early age, no scholastic soccer and. We're trying to catch up with that. I don't know if even even if your club, my club succeeds, you know, bringing the price down. It's still uh, the whole idea of 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 a of a team developing a player and then having the rights to sell that player later on. It doesn't seem to hurt Europe, but I don't see how that's ever going to get started here. What do you think? think,
0: I don't think so, too. I mean, it's different culture. It really is. Okay, so will we ever be able to
1: compete for a World Cup?
0: um i don't believe so honestly until we can focus on giving everybody an opportunity to play and be seen and having leagues and state leagues that inhibit smaller clubs to get into the leagues particular leagues it's it's it just inhibits growth you know um let the let the let the kids play and let that determine if they move up or move down There shouldn't be so many ceilings and rules to deny kids an opportunity to play in a league.
1: What do you think high school soccer plays uh, in the development of our players? Trying to play uh, the male players, obviously, female situation is totally different with with Title Nine. But for male players
0: uh, to develop, what what do you think? Uh, High school is it's a different animal because it's a three month season. And you do have to deal with different holidays. Thanksgiving, you got exam week, Christmas holidays, even Mardi Gras in there. Yes. So in order, and, and yeah, it's really hard to develop. And I think high school is more about trying to find the best eleven that you have, and try to build them to as much as we can as a team and, and compete. And then I think the club is where they should develop, and where, and I think that's where a lot of clubs are failing because they don't develop because it's all about winning. You know, it's not about, you know, making sure that kid understands the game. You know, sometimes you put the best fastest kid on top, but that doesn't mean that you're going to help him in the future or her. No, I don't think so either. And I think, uh, you know, we've ta- I've talked and I've been to Europe and talked to a bunch of uh, clubs up there and even the Ajax trainers. And their goal is not to, to win any state, oh, not state championships, any championships. Their goal is to develop and bring them to the next level. And that's where they, as coaches, feel like they produced. And here, and I think a lot of it is also the parents want to win and yeah. they want that medal and they want that trophy. And a lot of kids just want to just play, you know, regardless <laughs> of, and you let the process happen. Yeah, You know, you're always going to have some kids that are going to, you know, develop faster than others. Just let it happen. You know, I think sometimes we try to force it and it doesn't work. It's not working.
1: Okay. Well, look, uh, you got a couple more minutes uh, of open oh, yes. mic to talk to everybody. Uh, uh, what, what message would you have for the New Orleans area and the state that, that uh, do you think we need to, to do to
0: improve? I think we should unite as a community and, and not treat it as some threat. Between clubs you know we have to you know each club has their own niche and we just got to work together you know if I have a kid that I don't have an age group for you know I would first thing I would do is say here go to the fire or, or anywhere else Matagor that has that age group and go for them." and we should, we should all help be helping each other out and I think that's the key and that's a start to build this soccer community again. So
1: do you think we need to have meetings or such and have a kind of association?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Some type of meetings that we can get together and, you know, not deny and not tell your own teams not to play certain teams, certain clubs. Right. I think that that (laughs) should never happen. In a moment, they say that it's it's, it's just it's just it just I don't I don't believe in that at all. And I I think, you know, if there is a team here and there's a team in a different club and they want to play each other, they shouldn't be allowed to play each other. You know, it's just, it's just, it grows the game here. Yeah. And everybody, you know, I just, once we had that dialogue and I think once we get together and understand that, that, that even if you are the biggest or the smallest, we're still part of the same community.
1: Well, Coach, I uh, appreciate you taking your time coming on the show. And uh, oh, you. and uh, you always have a, uh, an outlet here if you want to come back and uh, and uh, try to grow the game. And I really do admire the fact that that's what you're trying to do.
0: Oh, and yeah, I wish you all too. the best. Oh, thank you, Red. And you too. All
1: right. God bless you.
0: All right. I'll talk. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Okay. That was coach, uh, Fran and, uh, pretty interesting comments. Don't y'all think. And I think that, uh, I, I think that he's made some valid points, especially about having fun and cooperating to get the kids to the best level possible. I, I think it is possible. I sent some kids to another club today as, as we speak. Okay. Uh, because I didn't have a team for them in soccer innovations and, uh, And I think it's a model that can, can work. You know, Um, I I also think when it comes to Louisiana farm uh, situation, all the all the shakeup that's going on right now might actually be a benefit to, to those elite teams that are getting the attention, you know? So I'm looking forward to talking to Coach Danton uh in a couple of minutes. Uh, but we're gonna take this break for a commercial and um and we'll we'll return on Monday Night Football, your voice for youth soccer. This is Coach Alan DeRitter, and I'll see you after the break. This episode of Monday Night Football is being brought to you by the Central LaFouche High School Girls Winter Invitational. For $250, your girls team uh, can play in a tournament where you're guaranteed three games with two referees. The confirmed teams are Mandeville, North Shore, Dominican, Hanville, Mount Carmel, Belchase, Thibodeau, South Terrebonne, Ursuline, and others. So it's quite an event already. Uh, you better book your spot now before all the spots are taken. You can register at J.E. Blanchard, J-E-B-L-A-N-C-H-A-R-D, at mylpsd.com. That's at mylpsd.com. Or just message us uh, Message us at the Monday Night Football page on Facebook, and we'll be glad to get you in touch with, with Coach Blanchard. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Monday Night Football. We're really honored uh, to have with us the president of the Louisiana Fire Juniors on the line with us, Nick Dana. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, we're kind of doing a State of the Union address for all the clubs. How's your club standing right now?
2: Yeah. Thanks again for having me. And just as a, by way of a little bit of background about myself, I've been in and around the game of soccer in the New Orleans area for the better part of you know 30 or 40 years now. Uh, as a youth player, uh, growing up in high school, and then coming back and getting my kids involved um, with Louisiana Fire. Uh, about three years ago, I was asked to join the board of directors, uh, and then uh, about one year ago. I was elected the president or chairman of the board, Um, and as part of that, you know, we've really been doing a kind of comprehensive review of the organization, just taking a look at what our strengths and weaknesses are and trying to to improve the game. If I take a kind of big picture view of of what we're really trying to do, you know, what's the mission of the club, I think the the easiest way to say it would be, you know, our mission is to positively impact the youth of New Orleans uh, through the game of soccer, and in doing so, you know, we're really trying to teach uh, life lessons uh, by utilizing the, the the game of soccer. Uh, a little bit of by way of background on on the club, um, the club is set up as a nonprofit. Um, we cater um, to youth all across the New Orleans area. Uh, most years, we'll have between three and four thousand kids playing in the various programs uh, across you know across the city. Uh, the overall idea is that we should be operating the club similar to a school. Um, a soccer school, if you will. Um, and as part of that, we're trying to make sure that, um, you know, for the kids that play in our programs, um, you know, that there's a curriculum, uh, and a pathway in place so that kids starting at ages two to three, hopefully playing all the way, uh, through 18 or 19, you know, have a curriculum and a pathway to develop not only as a soccer player, uh, but as a person. Uh, we've also been spending a lot of time working on the culture of the club, um, to make sure that, um, you know, we create a culture uh, for the fire that's similar to the culture that a lot of, uh, a lot of schools have for that, for frankly, um, and, and that, the culture of pride uh, on the people that wear the fire shirt pride in our organization, um, and that we can, you know, collectively celebrate the things we do well, um, and also have an openness to change, you know, the things that, um, that we need to improve on. And so that's kind of the, the big picture of where, where the club is, uh, where the club is now.
1: Okay, um, and so now come the questions. You know, it looks like y'all, y'all uh, the, the word on the street and, you know, people like to gossip is that there's been a major shakeup at the far. Can you highlight some of the changes to help you accomplish that goal that y'all just made?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you're really going to look to and improve an organization, I think you have to take a critical look at uh, how you're set up, how you're structured, uh, the people that are in place. Um, the board, the staff, um, coaches, uh, and take a critical look at where you are and the things you need to, to change to, to improve. Um, and the reality is when you're trying to do something that's really special uh, and take what I believe is a really good club and make it a great club, uh, there are tough decisions that to have to be made. So, you know, one of the things we looked at was, you know, what is the right organizational structure for our club? And what became clear to us is that, you know, we have a board of directors, uh, nine people on the board, volunteers that make up the board. Um, But when we looked at our um, sort of organizational structure, um, it was a little bit top heavy. Uh, And the reason it was top heavy is because when the merger of the clubs happened pushing 10 years ago, uh, there were sort of three CEOs, if you will. Um, When you look at best practices of really any organization, whether it be a soccer club, nonprofit, or any other company, they're they're generally run by one CEO. And so, several months ago, we made the decision to move to a single CEO uh, or single director of coaching uh, because to have an effective organization, you really need one voice, one vision um, to really bring everybody together and push that vision forward. So, um, so Hubie Collins became the executive director of coaching um, to be the one that can really you know lead that lead that vision. Uh, on behalf of the club. The other thing it allowed us to do is really to build out a more traditional organizational structure. So now we have people in charge of all the various programs, whether they be, you know, all the way down to the recreational programs, our academy program, various levels of competitive programs. Now we have people that are in charge of all those programs. And so they all will report um, up to our director of coaching.
1: Okay, and it's kind of funny because uh, Coach Louis Smotherman used to be with y'all as one of those three. And from what I could gather from the AGM, uh, they now have four coaching directors. So um, it's going to be kind of fun to watch how that pans out as to whether or not your model works or the old fire model works. But uh, but uh, it's uh, I have to say the old the old model is pretty much how almost all the soccer clubs are run.
2: Well, it's not, it's not to say that you don't have directors of different age groups or different programs, but ultimately a single CEO is, I think, what almost every nonprofit or corporate organization, um, is, is, um, has. And so you need sort of one decision, ultimate decision maker at the top to lead, uh, lead the vision and then manage all the staff, um, that are responsible for the various programs.
1: Okay, now another thing. Uh, when it comes to the cost of playing for y'all, um, is it driven by the by the U.S. Soccer Youth Association? By in other words, to play for their national championships and regional championships, you have to really spend a lot of money to travel to be a part of these leagues, or is it something else?
2: Well, the, the, you know, the, the cost of playing is always um, you know always an issue, and, I, and you know, there's an old saying that you know that um, you know, cost is what you pay, but Value is what you get. Um, and I think when, you know, we, when we analyze our, our budget, um, you know, we have, um, expenses related to renting all the fields and facilities that we have. We have cost of obviously the professional coaching staff that, that, that coach all of our teams. Um, and then we have the, the cost of our, you know, our office staff do all the administrative piece that to make it go. And so, you know, we have to take into consideration all those costs when we develop, you know, the 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 price for the various programs. A lot of people look at uh sort of the sticker price, so to speak. Um, If you look at how much it actually costs to play relative to the number of hours of training you get either on the practice field or on uh or or dirt games, uh the cost per hour is actually below almost any other activity you would do. Um, So from that standpoint, the cost is actually, I think, a lot less than perceived. Um, but the other piece of that is, you know, we offer, uh, I think, a lot more financial aid than people are aware of. And so each year we give out um, substantial financial aid to, you know, to players and families um, that aren't able to fully afford our programs. Um, that's something we've been doing for years. We continue to do it. Um, and we're actually ramping up the financial aid efforts just to make sure that not only um, uh, that, that really any child that wants to participate in our programs has the ability to do so.
1: Okay, and I, and I would, I would um, if I'm allowed to give you some advice, I think that that message needs to come out a lot la- larger because the average poor kid, really, they're discouraged to even try out with the fire if they don't think they're going to get a scholarship because they just can't afford that kind of tuition. And if they knew there were more opportunities available, maybe they would show up to more of the trials.
2: Yeah, well, we appreciate the feedback. Because certainly, you know, we're very, we're actually very proud of the amount of financial aid that we give, whether it be directly to kids that join our specific teams or some of the outreach teams that we've done uh, and allowed to kind of uh, play the game under the fire umbrella, even though they maybe didn't have a club of their own. And so those two pieces combined have a lot, you know, have have allowed a lot of children and teams to play that may otherwise not be able to. Um, and that's something we'll continue to do. And like I said, we have efforts underway to to ramp that up going forward
1: excellent look um uh, one of the other things I keep hearing is that uh, when the when when the fire emerged I was the first club to join the fire soccer innovations in America and uh, I thought it was a great idea uh, and then a lot of people followed suit and the whole idea was we could finally get a competitive team instead of splitting the talent up get a competitive team on the field that could go against Baton Rouge and Lafayette which are more unified and uh, sure, I think that worked um, that part of it worked, but it seemed like the negative drawback from people who kept jetting out of the fire was that it left something to be desired for the division two, three, four teams, and that they became somewhat like a, a program kid, a kid who basically is gonna pay, can wants to play, and they will help fund that top-heavy organization y'all had before. Have y'all addressed that at all?
2: Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things that, that we done because uh, I, because I think you're right. You know, I think the, the strategic, uh, I guess bringing together of all the clubs has certainly allowed the top teams to compete at higher levels. I mean, we had, you know, we have teams going and competing on, in the National League, uh, a couple of teams that won, you know, not only one state, but advanced to regionals and went to, to various different national tournaments. So there's certainly been some, some great success on, on the high end. I think the question you raise is a good one. And there's a couple things that we've done and and a couple things that we'll be um, kind of rolling out over the next year or two. Um, One is that um, we now have player depth charts uh, for all of our age groups. Uh, And so what that allows is it allows us to make sure that from one year to the next, that we are um, bringing kids up to higher teams that have really developed. um, And for kids that are struggling on on a higher level team, give them an opportunity to move down and, put, and, and have a little bit more success or maybe see some more playing time. And so the, the evaluation process to make sure that children are placed on the proper teams I think is something that's dramatically improved over the last year or two um, and continues to get better. Um, the, the second piece is that um, we have brought on board as a, as a consultant uh, a gentleman who is a UEFA licensed coach, um, and he is building out a curriculum for us uh, it's something we've been working on for the last several years, and he's sort of formalizing it. That curriculum will run from age 3 all the way to age 18 or 19, uh, and it'll be age-specific and age-appropriate, and it will also be put into an automated system of technology that was purchased. Uh, that technology allows the, the, the sessions to be pulled up on phones and iPads uh, in an animated way, uh, and then allows them to get either slightly more difficult or slightly easier based on the team that you're working with. So if you're working with a higher level team in a particular age group, maybe you make it a little more difficult. If you're working with maybe a second or third team, you might keep it as is, or maybe even make it a little easier so that they can so that they can have success. Um, and so I think those two pieces, in terms of the curriculum as well as a full player depth chart, um, will allow all people to be placed in the right environment, uh, but also make sure that there's not uh, that much of a difference between what you would get um, on a higher-level team or a lower-level team. And again, if you liken it to a school, um, not every child will be placed in an honors or an accelerated program, but there's certainly an expectation that all the non-honors kids would have a very age-appropriate curriculum for that grade level, and we're just trying to make sure that it's similar on the soccer field.
1: Okay, so uh, um, thank you for that. Now. What's happened in the last 10 years is a bunch of offshoot clubs have sprung up. My club wasn't one of those. We just found a need on the West Bank that that wasn't being filled. But a lot of them were just sprung out of the fire. I guess second division parents who are not satisfied and the like, like Spartans, um, uh, Montagua, White Star and Jambalaya um, as as some of the smaller clubs that are out there. Of course, my club, West Bank FC and the like. what is your view on, on those new clubs that have come out? Are, are, are they a hindrance to y'all, a burden to y'all, or or, or neither?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a good question. I think, you know, there are certain – there are always going to be, um, you know, children or families where, for whatever reason, the experience they had at the fire was not up to their expectations. You know, maybe they thought they should be on a higher-level team or maybe the the team they were placed on, you know, wasn't a good fit from a coaching standpoint or from, you know, the other players. Um, And so part of it is on the fire to continue to improve and make sure that people have a good experience and and, want to stay. Um, We've had a lot of success in President's Cup lately, which is the Division II state championship. And so I think that kind of speaks to us putting more focus um, and having more success at those age groups. Um, So I think we're making progress there. You know, in terms of the other clubs, I think, you know, what I would say there um you know not to address any one specific club but in concept i think our view is that if any club can grow the game in the city of new orleans then we'd be supportive of that right yeah, um yeah. if there are if there are kids that are in a geographic that we don't cater to if there are a, um, a, an area where uh, perhaps the perception is they can't afford our programs even though our financial aid might be able to help them, um, but that gets a kid that is not currently playing the game uh, to play, then we're fully supportive of it. Um, I think the real question, though, is, are the clubs really willing to invest in a way that will grow the game? Because part of the issue is, if you simply go after the older age groups and move kids from one club to another, how is that actually helping the child? And how is it actually helping to grow the game when if we're going to grow the game, we really need to focus on the younger age groups and get younger kids introduced into the game and loving the game at, at, at the three to eight year old age group so that the pool is much bigger so that as we go to form these more competitive teams, that there are many more children in the game that are then able to make the
1: so I, I, I run out of the model that I think your best coaches have to be at the U4 level personally and uh, and and move up from there. It seems that most of the clubs around the country have the opposite mentality that your best coaches can send up to the U18 level to try to compete. And, uh, and I think that's really backwards thinking, you know. Um, well, anyway, look, uh, one thing I want to ask you, too, is uh, this pay-for-play system that is permeating our country um, – do y'all feel driven by that? Do you even like that? Do you, do you have an alternate solution?
2: Um, I don't. I wouldn't say that I, that 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 we like it. Um, I would say that um, the the financial aid and the scholarship fund that we're trying to grow is probably the best near term way to address it. Um, because I don't think we can get away from the fact that you know operating a club that that spans six locations and has, you know, pushing 100 teams that need, uh, you know, paid, licensed, qualified coaches um, and then then an office staff to administer the program, I mean, that has a certain cost to it that you really can't escape. And so the only way to get around it um, is to do, again, what certain schools do, and that is to say that for people that can afford the programs, then they will pay, um, you know, the appropriate or fair amount. For those that can't, we have to find a way for them to afford it, whether that be at a discounted rate or close to a free rate, we continue to have to uh, find ways to raise money to do that. And I think what you've, I think hopefully you've seen, and I know others have noticed it, um, is that the sponsorship campaign um, that we've launched over the last year plus has brought in a lot of great local businesses uh, into our club. Um, I think it's been good for them, but it's also helped generate and raise some money that we can reinvest both in our fields and facilities to upgrade those, um, as well as into the financial aid side of the program. And so we have wonderful partners now like, you know, Oshner and Raising Cane's and Heaven's Pets and Gulf Coast Bank, Cool Brew Coffee, La Collier, these have been great partners for us. And to the extent we can attract more local businesses, um, to sort of partner with us, um, that is probably going to be the best way that um, that we can at least help to make sure that no child gets left behind.
1: Okay, so with the numbers that y'all had trial this year, are y'all able to continue to use all the facilities you're using, or will y'all have to cut back?
2: Yeah, we're actually um, we have a couple of initiatives in place to expand our facilities. If anything, I mean we're still very capacity constrained. Um, we, um, you know, we do operate at six locations across the city. Um, you know, we, we've done some improvements at those facilities, both on the field side uh, as well as on the on the lighting side. Um, we recently got lights out at Lafreniere on fields one and two, which has been great um, to help for um, practice slots. Um, we'll be building out some additional fields towards the back uh, of Lafreniere uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, over on the West Napoleon side, uh, we also have a. Couple plans in place to uh, to try to get turf on one or two of our fields just because of the you know the amount of rain out that that this, the weather around here uh, you know causes. So um, so yeah, if anything, we're looking to expand our fields and facilities to accommodate the numbers that we have.
1: And, and I'm I'm surprised by that because really the thought that I'm running into is that it looks like all these uh, other clubs that are out there, especially uh, that one that just branched off of y'all. Uh, will probably be the home for the division three, four kid, or the kid who can't afford division one, two, and the, then the kids who can not afford division one, two can go ahead and play for these elite teams that can travel, and they'll just probably have to pay more tuition and have less facilities. What do you say to people who say that?
2: I'm sorry to say to
1: well, a lot of people are believing that y'all, uh, your, your numbers are going to decrease. And so, therefore, um, your niche will probably be the teams that travel outside of the state and, and go to the President's Cup and the National Cup, and uh, and then the rest of the teams might wind up finding their way into other clubs. Do y'all think you're going to have a significant place for Division Three and Four players, especially the older ones?
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I, I would. I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, I think. Um, I, I think our, our numbers going into this year are quite strong, um, and and part of that is driven by the fact that we have so many kids coming through our recreational and academy programs that the pipeline of kids just through our own organization, um, you know, to form, um, you know, the older the older age group teams um, is pretty significant. And so, you know, th- there'll always be a couple of kids that go to a different club, or even a you know a team that may decide to do something else. Uh, but certainly, our numbers are, are pretty strong to the point that we're we're investing in additional fields and facilities.
1: I tell you what, that UFR coach that you'll have hired—that that sounds exciting to me. Are they going to bring in new technology to do that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, he um, yeah, he's a UFA licensed coach and did some did some coaching in, in um, you know in Spain. Um, he's coming over, um, and like I said, he's building out the session plans and then the technology that he uses you know, is used by several um, professional clubs, both domestically and abroad. And so we think that's going to be a great tool, Um, you know, like I said, not only for our higher-end teams, uh, but for our teams across the board because the curriculum will go all the way down to the 3- and 4-year-old age group and run all the way through the 18s and 19s. And So what that will really do is, I mean, we have some, you know, volunteer recreational coaches um, that, 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 um, you know, are absolutely committed to do the best they can, but they certainly need some help in terms of what are the right sessions to run and how to run them and so this will improve you know all the way down to our volunteer recreational coaches all the way up to our you know to our a license coaches that have been doing it forever but always still need you know new ideas and new ways to uh new ways to improve
1: all right this is your opportunity to have everybody in the soccer community in the country i mean in louisiana not the country rather um although we did have nine thousand views for one of our shows but Uh, you have the mic. Is there anything you want to tell the general soccer community at large that we didn't cover?
2: Um, You know, I think our commitment is like I said, to to positively impact the city through the game of soccer. And we're going to do it uh, under a structure that's similar to the way schools operate, create a culture that that people want to be a part of. Um, We're committed to grow the game. Uh, One thing we didn't talk about was our new relationship with soccer shot. Um, That's a group that's um, been uh, the official partner of US Youth soccer for, Ages two to five, um, they have a you know early childhood development focus. Uh, we think that's going to be another great way to introduce young kids to the game uh, and really foster a love of the game. Um, and that as kids exit um, the Soccer Shots program, then they will enter you know our various programs depending on what what age that is. Um, and so I think there's a wonderful opportunity um, to grow the game through um, through what those guys are doing and, and through our new relationship with him. Um, and beyond that, you know we want to be the comprehensive soccer provider and really the comprehensive soccer school in the city of New Orleans. and that means um, to have teams from age three to age nineteen. Uh, and it also means to have uh, curriculum and resources in place that so, regardless of the the level of the player or the level of the team that they're getting uh, coaching and education that's appropriate for their age and for their and for their level. um and that we do it in such a way that, uh, they learn life lessons because the reality is, you know, most of most of our kids are, are not going to be playing professionally, even though a few recently have signed. Um, but the reality is we want to make sure that when they leave the game of soccer and leave our programs, um, that all the life lessons that are so important, whether they be teamwork, how to win, how to lose, how to impact others, um, how to work together, that all those lessons have been learned through the game of soccer and hopefully through our organization.
1: Well, Coach, I really appreciate you taking your free time um, out to be on the show, and and uh, you always have a, a outlet here if you ever want to get more messages out to the community, which I don't want the fire, and I wish you all the best of everything.
2: Well, I'd really appreciate that, and I'll take you up on that in the future.
1: All righty. Take
2: care. All right, thanks. Yep, right. thanks a lot. Bye-bye. God bless you.
1: Okay, everybody, and uh, you, heard it from, you heard it from Nick just now. Uh, Kind of surprising stuff. Uh, They they are really ramping up their financial aid, and they're trying to uh, upgrade their facilities. And also, they have expanded with soccer shots. Uh, Those are three huge pluses, and um, it's going to cause us to really have to meditate on exactly what is it. What is it we need to do to get everybody working together in the city? Listening to uh, I've I've interviewed coaches off the air, and And it's almost everybody's got a different solution to the problem. And the problem, really, I think, everybody, is is the model that is in place nationally. I I really, really do. I don't think the changes aren't going to work from the bottom up. I think the changes have got to come from the top down. I really do. And if we can find some way to compete with the European system, how they develop you know, they, they scout just like our American baseball system, you know, your scouts go to these playgrounds, watch these kids play, and they follow them through the system from there, you know, so a kid can even skip college if he's not smart enough and play single A baseball. Uh, it'd be nice if we could have that approach as opposed to a kid having to raise five, $6,000 a year to have to play, uh, at a competitive level. And I know he said there's a lot of scholarships, but, uh, it's been my it's been my experience with soccer innovations that uh uh I mean three thousand dollars, there's not one kid in my club that can afford that at all. And uh, and if to give a bulk amount of scholarships like that, uh he did mention these he's got some significant sponsors and that really takes the bite out of those scholarships. And uh maybe just maybe the culture there could be changed. Uh, I just uh hope with this show that we had tonight that we've we've learned how to listen to each other and then uh, also uh, maybe we can come together with some consensus because the bottom line is this we have to reach out to these kids and we all love the game of soccer well I'm gonna call it football and and uh, we need to get it to grow and I think all of us want to see us succeed in the male World Cup of course the female game is a totally different banana what we're doing there is what right the wheels not broken but if you heard my episodes from during the Women's World Cup, stay tuned because the European model is starting to take over Europe, and and uh, I think we're going to see some degradation of our of our dominance in the game in the women's game as well as we see time come on. Well, we're out of time, and uh, this looks like to be we're going to have to have this topic go on further. Our focus is going to be on high school soon. If you want us to cover your high school and uh, and preview what your high school is doing, please send us a message at Monday Night Football on our Twitter. Facebook page, it's M-N-F-U-T-B-O-L, or on LA Prep Soccer, uh, I'm A. DeRitter, A-D-E-R-I-T-T-E-R, uh, and would be glad to, um, to culminate all that data and have a really good show previewing your uh, particular district strengths. And so we need that information as soon as possible. We can start following it to us. We'll be having those episodes come out within the month. All right, so uh, with that, we had a lot to chew on. and might be listening to this show over again just to just to chew on it fully. Maybe you need to do the same on um, Monday Night Football. Your voice for youth soccer. This is Coach Alan Deritter, uh, Director of Coaching at Soccer Innovations of America, Head Boys and Girls Coach at Dallas Salle, Wishing you and your family the the very best. And remember, carpe diem in Christ. We'll see you uh, next week, hopefully on Monday Night Football.